0: Hello, I'm Paul Bristol and I'm working with the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network to find and share stories of community-led climate action. As we live through and continue to cope with the ongoing pandemic, there's been lots of talk around a new normal. For the first time, many of us have started to question what was so normal about how we lived before anyway, and there's an increased interest in the space where climate action meets social justice, a green and just recovery universal basic income. Ideas once out in the fringes may be finding their time. The next few months and years will see a battle to frame and tell that story, to make those changes. We need to take this opportunity to show how what we've seen in these last few months can help us imagine better and continue to make the case for action on the climate emergency. And so I want to learn more. Sometimes it maybe feels like everyone's just ploughing their own furrow, out in a limb, just getting on with it. But the collective effort across the country is remarkable. So over the next few months I'm speaking to people and communities across Scotland to hear their stories of climate action, of hope and change, from big changes to small steps. I want to hear it all and then together we can look beyond the new normal to something better. When I put myself forward to become Scan's new story weaver, the pandemic was in full swing but even so I had a vision of, of maybe being able to visit all these wonderful people and projects which is usually the best part of any of the story work that I do. Obviously things haven't quite worked out like that and I suppose they're not likely to over the next few months so all my chats are well, currently online and everything feels very indoors, but the worst thing would be for that confinement to begin to limit our imagination and creativity. Which is why I was especially delighted over the last week to spend some time hearing about projects in Glasgow that are inspiring the young people in their communities to think about their environment differently. This is Alex Mackenzie from the Lost Woods Project in Glasgow.
1: The project got started in January of this year, and it was when a group of friends came together from all sorts of backgrounds and professional experience because essentially we wanted kids to feel connected connected to nature and there was no better way than growing their own tree from seed so we also really wanted to create a kind of a wonderful legacy for the cop26 un climate summit which was planned to happen in glasgow as being the host city for this november but now that has been postponed until next november and What was important for us was to kind of showcase a collective action. In this case it was all the Glasgow primary school children coming together to grow their own tree, rewild areas and hopefully create a children's woodland, so hence the name The Lost Woods. But the magic in this was really happened a month before in December 2019 when the spark of the idea came and it really sets the tone and the foundations for this whole project and really quite simply I was reading one evening a story to my six-year-old daughter Ashley, from a book that was gifted to us and the book was called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls and in that book is a, a collection of tales of extraordinary women throughout history. and. I was obviously flicking through it, and I stumbled upon this story about Wangari Maathai, and she's a Kenyan activist who started up the Green Belt Movement. And you know, shamefully, I hadn't heard about Wangari up until this point, and it was just a lovely short one-page extract about how the Green Belt Movement started and a little bit about Wangari. But I was just so blown away by the story because it's it's. Describes how a group of village women came together with the help of Wangai Matai and had a really simple and elegant solution to solve the effects of deforestation in the area. So there were lakes and rivers drying up, they had to walk miles and miles for firewood, but they came up with this solution of growing trees from seed. So what they did was they went into the forest, they collected seeds um, that were there and they planted them up into just cans and had them in their backyards and and then they started growing them from there and what i was inspired was it was the solution was so simple and uncomplicated anybody could do this and that the women felt really empowered too to find their own solutions they weren't waiting for the powers that be and And it was the power of that collective action. And in the story, there's this lovely wee quote, which I'll just read out. And it says, just like a tree sprouting from a tiny seed, the idea spread and grew into a widespread movement. So that movement now, um, they have planted over 50 million trees. And Wangari herself has been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work. And uh, she celebrated by planting a tree. But it was just beautiful. And just to show the power of that collective action. And then what really resonated for me that was in the book was this quote from Wangari that said, the time is now. And so I suppose like up until that point in my other work, I've been involved in climate literacy training and workshops and And there was, you know, the children were, have been really aware about the climate crisis and they've been inspired by Greta Thunberg and the Fridays for Future movement and have gone out on strike to kind of raise the issue in public's minds. So I really wanted to channel that energy into another positive action, but really not knowing What that was up until this point when I saw this the story, and I just thought, wow! Imagine growing trees from seed and children within Scotland. I was thinking very ambitious then. Um, Having that wonderful experience, having that experience of that, having a piece of nature to nurture along, and the message really being that you know no one is too small to make a difference. So, I do believe the time is now. But I also really believe that it is very important not to just frame the climate debate in terms of just doom and disaster Um, you know yes it's the most imperative issue that we have to address but one of my all-time heroes mary robinson says um hope brings energy and if we remove hope And nobody essentially will want to get out of the beds in the morning, let alone address any of the big issues of climate change and the climate crisis. And I think this is really especially true for children who will worry and get upset about how the climate crisis will affect them and their future. But what really is lovely is that, I don't know if you've seen it, is this great Australian film, 2040, And this highlights so well um, about a different story that we can present where the climate crisis has been solved and it just shows a future that we could have if we just embrace the best climate solutions available today. And it's just a lovely message in that. And it gives us energy to maybe do all these things that are needed in order to get to that stage.
0: A recurring theme of my conversations over the last few months has been project adaptation and the refocus. Lost Woods was only really kicking off in January 2020, so it had to really swiftly manoeuvre.
1: The project has taken so many twists and turns since it started this year because of the global pandemic. But on the whole, it has been positive. Um, We've had to adapt, I suppose, like everybody else out there. And, you know, curiously, there has been new opportunities that have arisen, which we wouldn't have had in our original plans. All the fundamental aspects of the project have been achieved. So in March this year, just before lockdown, we distributed close to 50,000 Cecil Oak acorns with all the planting supplies and educational resources to 150 primary schools right across the city and it was a mammoth undertaking which we actually had to do two weeks earlier than planned because we suspected schools would close at some point but we didn't know when and then we had the difficult choice because we're dictated by the growing season of the acorns it was either going to happen this march or next march but all the wheels were in motion, our supplies had all been ordered. And we decided to carry on because who knows what next year brings. And even now we don't know what next year brings. So I'm glad that we did carry on. And, but we are so indebted to so many people that, um, to make that happen. Um, and to make all of what we achieved in March possible. Um, Like just for example, like vegware, they donated all these biodegradable cups to us, to the project, because we needed then at that stage sterile planting containers because the original idea of kids coming into school with their recycled containers to use as planting pots went out the window because of COVID. And then Alaba trees were providing all our native Scottish species of acorns in vast quantities And just within really, really short timescales. And then Green Move, a bunch of fantastic lads. Um, They're part of a Glasgow-based removal company. And they um, help transport all these supplies to the schools as well. And there's so many more people to mention. I mean, Nicola Davis and Walker Publishers, they provided signed copies of the Promise Book to our schools at cost. Graphical House helped out with creating our website and the Lost Woods Identity. Jackie Mars, bless her little cotton socks, she was like helping um, raise money for us by um, auctioning out some of her otter prints and all the crowd funders and the incredible individuals that are basically our Lost Woods team. Um, And the schools loved the project. I mean, they really felt for us too. I mean, because we were doing it within these crazy, crazy, crazy timescales in this crazy period of time. Um, But, and it was difficult for everyone. So not all the schools were able to take it on, particularly the schools at the last distribution run, because the government announcement then came in to close the schools. But we've adopted all those acorns from those schools and we've planted them up in a farm in Les Mahago, and they're growing beautifully and um, and the original plan then was to that we would um, pick up the seedlings before the summer break and to bring them into a tree nursery until um, we found suitable sites but in most of the cases um, the children took their seedlings home to look after and that's another lovely spin Um, because it gave them a wee positive focus and a chance to see their wee oak tree growing for a little bit longer. And there's some gorgeous examples from stories from the schools. Um, Blackfriars Primary School in the Corbels, they planted over 200 seedlings before the lockdown. And the wonderful teacher there, Viv Murdoch, printed and stapled lovely care instructions to eat the pot, but she also included lovely, beautiful, hopeful quote. And I believe from there it was a really moving event for the teachers and the parents and the kids as they kind of went off. They had something lovely to go home with. Riverside Primary in Govan, the head teacher there, Louise Brimlow was telling me that their school was one of the hub schools for all the kiddies whose um, parents were the key workers. So all these kids came to this school during lockdown. And then we were able to watch this wee forest growing in their canteen. And she also sent out some of her acorns amongst kids in our neighbourhood and to the riverside community halls as well. And Blair Dairy School in Drumchapel, they were doing some kind of guerrilla planting. And the principal teacher there, Elspeth Hicks, was saying, "Blair Dairy is going to be even more green over the next few years." So it was just lovely, lovely warm heartening stories um, that came out of it um, and and then again the we had to adapt all our educational resources from being classroom based to suiting kind of a homeschool blended approach and this prompt, prompted us to link up with so many talented creative um, individuals and organizations and We're working with our contacts in the Performing Arts, as well as Glasgow Science Centre and Glasgow City Council to bring all this wonderful, hopeful educational content to schools and families. But I have to say, all in, the biggest achievement has been developing all these links and we've kind of formed a community who want to make the world a better place and, and build momentum right up to the climate summit
0: the delay of the climate summit has been frustrating for lots of climate focused groups but equally it potentially gives groups and organizations more time to organize which is exactly what's happening with the lost roots
1: so the next steps for us um we'll be linking up with the schools again over the next few weeks we obviously were in touch with them before lockdown and then before the summer break and now we're going to be re-engaging with them over the next few weeks to find out how we can support them and pick up the seedlings which they may have and transfer them to the Era Enterprise Nursery. That's a nursery that, uh, from a partner agency that we were working with. And then to obviously tell them all about the new educational resources that we have in plan. Um, we're also currently investigating a number of potential sites for our seedlings with our partner agencies. We're working Really closely with Glasgow Science Centre and Glasgow City Council, and the Air Enterprise. The Air Enterprise is a social enterprise that maintain a native trees nursery out towards Bishopton, and they specialise in aspen, but just generally other rare species of trees. But Glasgow Science Centre are hopefully going to showcase 150 of our seedlings in their new outdoor learning space on the lead up to the summit and 150 being representing each of the primary schools and there'll be a number of workshops and events for the schools and families to engage with too. We're also working with the Glasgow City Council to hopefully develop a children's forest and this will be an area where schools and families can access and watch the little baby oak trees grow. Um, Another project that we're looking at is we're also looking to develop maybe tiny forests or woodlands for the schools to act as carbon sinks to offset their carbon footprints and we're exploring that idea with the air enterprise and Starling learning tiny forest is a japanese concept that originally um from a japanese botanist in the 1970s and it essentially is a kind of a miniature urban forest um, It's Known as the Mirwaki Forest, I've probably murdered that, but um, it's, so it's a densely packed native forest that fit into the size of a tennis court, and it means that all the benefits of a forest can be right at the heart of the city, so that improving air quality, people's physical and mental well-being, um, lower flood risks, increasing biodiversity, all that good stuff
0: rewilding urban spaces has been gaining popularity for a number of years but again the last few months have thrown it into sharper focus we've come to appreciate whatever green spaces we've been able to access much more than before and so therefore surely as many of us as possible should have that access
1: i think rewilding has captured people's minds because it kind of fits into that vision of kind of a green and just recovery there's all those concepts that have been bantered about rewilding derelict areas and tiny forests and creating uh, wooded areas within an urban setting because there's a clear link of how it improves physical and mental well-being and just bringing joy within an urban setting as well. And I think we'd like to think that we're kind of supporting you know, the country's green recovery in our only small way by, by no means are we solving all the ills of the climate crisis, but hopefully we're bringing a little bit of joy. And there's, there's a lovely stub study that was published recently and researchers from UC San Francisco and buddied up with researchers at Trinity college, Dublin, they discovered how all walks that's A-W-E like walking with awe. So that is about going out on your walk, really soaking up um, nature and noticing your surroundings as well. And it was lovely. It was saying how there was a control group and and then a group that was told to kind of walk 15 minutes a week and just to really notice what they were doing and their surroundings. And people's smiles in their selfie pics getting broader and broader as the weeks went on and then also curiously they when they were taking the pictures they made themselves smaller within the landscape and it's it's just how the landscape was wrapped right around them and and how it was how it just boosted their whole well-being and outlook so there is an important reciprocal relationship um that we need to treasure And rewilding is a perfect example of how we can do
0: that. The world could certainly do with more joy and awe right now. And I love that image of people being enveloped by the landscape, literally framing themselves as a tiny part in that bigger picture everyone's always talking about. Creating joy and awe does sound like it would also fit into the mission statement of our next guest, Emily Reid, who runs Ecodrama in Glasgow.
2: So um EcoDrama uh, began in 2007. Um uh, I was inspired to set up a a theater company that um solely uh, explored themes about nature and excited children and young people um about the amazing living planet that we have. Um so the main goal was to create theater productions and creative learning workshops and projects exploring uh themes of nature and um, exciting people um, of all ages really but it's mainly aimed at children and young people Um, and yeah and just inspiring curiosity and wonder um, for, for the living planet.
0: EcoDrama's commitment to sustainability goes beyond the content they create. Right from the start it's been embedded in their entire delivery model.
2: We explored the idea of touring in a van run on recycled vegetable oil um, and we're uh very grateful that we actually found a supplier just 15 minutes along the road from um where I lived at the time. And uh, yeah, he's been um, <clears throat> it's like a company called Apple Fuels and they make uh, they make the fuel from uh takeaways across Glasgow and it reduces CO2 emissions by 85 percent um so it's it's a nice way to tour um and touch Touchwood we've been touring in our in our van for 10 years now um and in 2015 we were expanded to touring our smaller workshops and productions in an electric car um so it's, it's not just about tr- sustainable transport as well we're trying to explore um other ways of making work in a more sustainable way um, from the way the sets and props are made, um, and costumes to how we operate as a company. Probably the best one to highlight that process, um, was a production we created in 2015 called Uprooted. Um, and that that featured Scotland's very first living stage. Um, so a living stage is essentially. Uh, a biodegradable, edible, re- fully recyclable theatre set that was um, created from seeds by children in four primary schools across Scot across Glasgow. And so we planted a um, as part of the the sort of participatory engagement part of the project. Uh, those children selected some vegetable seeds, fruit seed, fr- uh, fruit trees. Um, there was plants um herbs. And we worked with a permaculturist um, to essentially grow those from uh, March to July as part of the um, Out to Play project. And then uh, the children took care of those plants and they also took part in design sessions to design what they felt could be a stage that worked with the principles of a sort of circular economy and uh, you know, making sure it was all recycled, but not compromising on quality. Um, and we had a designer, Tanya Beer, who was from Australia, who had essentially founded the concept of the living stage. And this was her, at the time, her third living stage. She'd done one in Australia, one in Cardiff, and Glasgow was the third. And she went on to plant living stages in New York, uh, Melbourne, and across the world, really. Um, by the time it was ready in full bloom at the end of July it was ready to tour and uh, we went round uh, places like the Merchant City Festival, Barhead Waterworks, Kilmer House, lots of uh, outdoor venues that summer and then we finished with a tour to uh, the four primary schools who had created the stage and uh, yeah they watched the production and they couldn't couldn't quite believe, really, that the plants that they had grown, the seeds that they had sown, were suddenly these huge plants, these big sunflowers, these huge courgettes. They felt like it was a trick, and that we'd planted it all, and uh, like literally planted them all, and bought them from the supermarket. And we, we were just saying, "No, abs- this is absolutely all your handiwork." And um, th- you know that that sort of disbelief turned into a real pride. And at the end of the show, they got a chance to have a nibble on the stage, sample some of the um the herbs and the the peas and things like that and we'd made a cordial from the mint and rosemary that they'd grown so they had a wee drink. And then at the end of the the touring life, that set got replanted into one of the school's playgrounds, essentially transforming a a kind of grey fenced area into a, an enticing kind of story space or outdoor playground space um for those children to use for, for years to come. Um, as part of their outdoor work, so they could see that this this set had had a full cycle of its life, and that it didn't end up in a landfill, wasted. Um, and I think, yeah, being part of that project, hopefully, um, sort of, they were living what it m- means to be, uh, or to try and be more sustainable in how we create things and how we dispose of things and.
0: There's a lot of debate at the moment about how we frame and discuss the climate emergency, about how the ways of talking about it, the language used, can resonate with or alienate people. I wondered how Emily worked with us in the context of stories and young
2: people. Depending on the age group we're working with, we have to take obviously different approaches and I think we over the years we 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 knew in our gut that you know when you're working with early years children, you really are focusing about you're focusing in on the wonder of nature in your story um characters that are connected to nature or doing something hopeful in nature and 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 that approach works for you know your younger child, but we find that obviously as as you're reaching upper primary and into secondary um you you're wanting to introduce a lot more of the facts about climate change and these kind of things, but weaving those into to stories in ways that doesn't um, disempower or or overtly worry, um, but at the same time not shielding them. Um, so it, it is a is a balance to be struck, um, and you know, ensure, uh, ensuring it, yeah it doesn't lead to a- apathy or dejection. Um, but yeah, the the most recent project we did was called. Um, future calling so that was with s1 and s2 in uh, delivered in lockdown really um, originally that had been a an outdoor learning project Um basically we uh, have a an out an to play project which is delivered with primary schools and nurseries which is all about using um, the power of the imagination in urban outdoor playground spaces so we use a lot of drama and storytelling mixed in with principles of outdoor learning and nature connection to essentially reimagine those playground spaces and bring them to life but also weave in themes of learning for sustainability and climate climate change and things like that Um. so so originally future calling had been a was meant to be an outdoor learning project for s1 and s2 and we were going to push the boundaries with a kind of obviously uh, an older version for these pupils but um one that brought in more about climate action and things like that and then of course Covid happened so we we had to work quite quickly Um we didn't want to lose lose the project and so we transferred it into a digital project where the drama artist Ben um, essentially reimagined what we were doing but still keeping the same principles that we wanted it to be an arts and climate change project um, and we presented a series of uh webinars and sessions with the young people from their homes um via Microsoft Teams um and we set we had a, a lot of discussions about climate change um ben g- gave them lots of links to explore uh, he also set them creative tasks um and often outside in nature um to reconnect and, or, on their daily walk and then it was all leading up to creating a creative response and we kept that quite open um as to what what that meant to that young person a creative response to the the climate emergency um and what what we got back was phenomenal it was really um amazing to see what these young people had uh, done often in collaboration with their families in lockdown or on their own in their bedrooms or or on their daily walk um we had anything from news reports out in outside and on their daily walk to um stop animation films uh to them composing their own music on the piano or ukulele uh climate songs um uh some sort of sh- short performed excerpts and so all of this collection of films we turned into a, a sort of short compilation that lasts about 5 minutes that showed the snippets um, of the best of, of each um, film and essentially try to tell the story of, of the climate emergency from a young person's perspective.
0: Future Calling is Ecodrama's most recent project and you should absolutely watch the video that was created but it builds on years of work which have put outdoor learning right at the heart of what they do. In recent months, we've seen outdoor learning adopted more rapidly by schools as part of the Covid response. So I asked Emily for a bit more detail about how it works.
2: Yeah, so the Out to Play project was first, um, I guess, conceived and delivered in um, early 2015. And uh, we did a 13-week pilot project in four schools across Glasgow. And um, we built in a sort of strong CPD element for teachers as well, so that it wasn't just us coming into the school, doing the project and then leaving. Um, So basically, as part of the programme, we um upskilled um and nurtured uh teachers i guess on that on that journey, so that out to play became part of those um four schools weekly timetables going forward so in terms of a sort of impact from a school point of view we we noticed that um many school the four schools we were working with in that pilot started to do more outdoor learning than they were perhaps doing already. Or if they hadn't been doing any outdoor learning, they were suddenly doing it and they were finding a way to do it in a quite inaccessible way uh, through the arts. And um, one teacher commented that she hadn't realised the importance of the imagination in outdoor learning and that she'd had this perception of it that um, you know she would have to be getting lots of kit and um, resources and bringing these all out outdoors. And then she realised that all she needed was... You know herself, and um, you know a bank of ideas really to explore and um, stories and games and and obviously your in your themes. But so so in terms of impact with with schools that that's been really great to see um them getting on board, uh and and building that into their wider outdoor learning sort of sustainable development goals pl- plan. Um, in terms of impact on children and young people um it's been incredible to see how it affects children um when you just simply place their learning in an outdoor context um we had comments and written evaluations from teachers saying that pupils' attention spans improved when they were outdoors um we, perhaps children that were uh, had more difficult behavior were suddenly engaging with their learning in, in a new way um also just enthusiasm for learning um a lot of children talked about how just being outdoors helped them feel cal- calmer um and and then of course the nature education as well we've seen huge impacts in children's attitudes to nature Um we do a lot of evaluation before the project um to get baselines and then after and you know as an example before one of the projects one year um, a lot of the words associated with nature were things like mucky, uh, dirty, scary. There's a certain perception of nature like it was something far away or something to be feared. And what we are trying to do is encourage them to see that nature is right there on our doorstep and that there's this wonder right there. We don't need a special pair of binoculars and outdoor gear and a bus to take us to nature um, you know, even in an urban city environment, if we look close enough, it's there. I
0: have to admit that I do remember when the letter came out from schools just before summer explaining the blended learning approach. I certainly was a little taken aback with how much outdoor learning was proposed. And I just kept thinking, this is Greenock, they'll get soaked. And then I felt a bit bad for being grumpy about it. But there is a culture change that needs to be made.
2: I think in Scotland we are, we have been pushing for more outdoor learning for for years now and i think you know when there's outdoor nurseries popping up a bit more and um hopefully this pandemic you know the positive of that is forcing people um to just get out and do it and and that's often it i think it's we 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 stick within our comfort zones or the norm or the way of doing things and um often it's it's just about getting out and doing it really and um Realising that there's this whole world of exploration and um you know lessons that can be delivered really effectively using using what's around you, so yeah, hopefully it's it's gonna mean good things for how we might approach learning going forward and as a whole, and that the outdoors will become not just something you do on a week each year when it's sunny, um that you know you can get out in all weathers and that kind of age-old, was it Billy Conley, that said there's no such thing as uh, bad weather, only bad clothing. Um, So I think, you know, that's a big thing as well, is that puts people off in Scotland, is I don't want to go out and get absolutely freezing and soaking, so it's just equipping, you know, schools and and young people, um, you know, with the the gear as well, um, if you want to keep doing it into the winter months. Um, just sort of sort of depends on your mood, but but consistently as a project, we do say you know we'll go out no matter what the weather. Um, please come dressed appropriately, and um, you know only in dangerous scenarios we won't go out. So we're really setting that up from the moment go that it's there's no backup of going into the hall if it's a bit rainy.
0: You'll not melt. You'll not made of sugar, as my grandma said. Eco drama will be continuing with their current programs. But they also have another project in the works, which hopefully can take place next year.
2: The original project that we did actually have planned for next year prior to COVID um, hitting was a, a project called the Forgotten Orchard Project. And that will be, if we can find figure out a way to, to make it work, um, we'll be working with uh, communities across Glasgow um, to plant um, a community orchard and also school orchards across the city, which is something we have done before back in 2011 to 2015, um, where we planted almost 30 orchards across the city, um, and how that works in terms of with the art side of it. Um, we have a theatre production called The Forgotten Orchard, which is essentially uh, a theatre show for for mainly primary age children um, that kind of reintroduces, re-welcomes re- to our plate the uh, very charismatic apples of our heritage in Scotland. So um the show features a lot of apples uh, uh you know a, a supporting cast of apples, if you will, um, from all over Scotland, such as the the Bloody Ploughman from Perthshire, and The Lass of Gowrie, um the Clydeside, which is a local Glasgow apple, uh, the James Greave, which is from Edinburgh, um and the, I think Scotch dumpling, um, you know, from up north. So we weave into weave into the tale. It's a story of Katie and her grandad, and and he's um very passionate about his orchard that he's grown, and he in each tree he knows the name of, and it's through his passion that he introduces his granddaughter slowly to, uh, this world. And um, it's told as a memory, and she's looking back on her her childhood with her grandad, and um. Yeah, she realizes kind of at the end how um, much that had impacted on her and what she needs to do after he's he's gone. That you know what she needs to do to continue that orchard legacy, which is very much mirroring what's happening in Scotland right now. And there's some there's been a wonderful movement, you know, over the last few years of uh, reinstating those her- heritage varieties, replanting orchards um starting up um community orchards. Um and this so this movement I just find it fascinating and really exciting. And just um as with a lot of the Apple fanatics out there would just love to see more fruit trees in every community, on every corner of a bit of patch of, you know, grassy land. Um, you know, let's have more fruit trees, let's make ourselves a little bit more resilient to uh to climate change, to you know as we've just experienced in the lockdown how fragile our food system is um so it's all part of that bigger picture of just you know building resilience gradually and so if we can play a small part in that and you know plant the seeds in um you know children's minds of what a more sustainable um food system could look like um through this production and through the, the associated activities and planting uh you know, their school and community orchards, then yeah, I'm excited about that. I, I do think as well, I should say that I think, you know, children have a natural affinity with, with nature and with the natural world. And I guess our job, what we feel our job is, is really just to nurture that and ensure that it it doesn't slip away, um, as it, it can often do as we become older and become engaged with other aspects of life. And Um, So it's really just nurturing that natural curiosity for for nature, which I think is there in in all young children.
0: Lost woods and forgotten orchards, exactly the kinds of places I like to spend time. All my favourite types of stories have that magical realism going on, where the extraordinary happens alongside the everyday. Both the Lost Woods and ecodrama aren't just rewilding landscapes, they're rewilding imaginations. It reminds me a wee bit of that phrase from the Paris riots in the 60s, like beneath the pavement, the beach. The idea of subverting or redefining what urban spaces mean, removing some of the order of this false-imposed structure, and letting the green start to take root again, all around us, helping us see things differently, to imagine better. Thanks to Alex Mackenzie from The Lost Woods. You can read some more about the project on their website, thelostwoods.earth, and see what they've been up to on their Facebook page, The Lost Woods, or on Twitter as well. Thanks also to Emily Reid from Ecodrama, there's lots of information about their past projects on their website, alongside some excellent free resources and videos, including the new Future Calling film. And that's all at www.ecodrama.co.uk Thanks for listening to A Thousand Better Stories from the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. Next time, we'll be hearing from Professor Sir Jeff Palmer on the intersection between the climate emergency and Black Lives Matter. And if there's something happening in your community, be sure to let us know. You can drop me a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. We're on Twitter as well at Scott Communities CCAN and on Facebook. Just search for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. Over the next few months, we'll be continuing to run workshops to help you tell and share your story of climate action. Check out the website and sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date.